man, oh man. Let me just fix up this. And we're good to go. I guess today's one of those days where I know what I want to say. I'm just not entirely sure if I'm going to be in as good enough form to say it in a way that is as clear as I want to say it. There are times when I know exactly what I want to say, but it's quite obvious that I'm not in the position to say it as clearly as I want to say it. And on those days I remain silent. But for whatever reason, we'll take a stab at it. We'll see how it goes. So the next few episodes or the next little couple of ideas are going to be related. And that won't matter too much. You'll be able to listen to these as standalone things. And I'll tie them all together as we go along. But the reason I mention that is because I'm actually trying to get at something that is not... A simple, solid, tangible idea that can just be compartmentalized and put across. It's more of like a meta idea or a larger idea, a general idea, an epistemic idea. And for today, I'd like to talk about Miles Davis. And in particular, there's a particular story which I'd like to emphasize and just illustrate and just draw out some insights from in relation to Miles Davis. And this is the story of Miles Davis going to learn boxing. Now, if you don't know Miles Davis, probably you do. But to just sort of help illustrate the picture to what sort of person he was, well, he was one of the most influential jazz musicians of all time. In fact, you could even argue that he was the most influential jazz musician of all time. And he came up beginning his career in the hard bop era with musicians like Charlie Parker and Clifford Brown and Max Roach and Bud Powell. And he sort of was this young, up-and-coming hot jazz musician who would play the hard bop style and he became quite successful in that style but then he went on to sort of have his own thing and he came up with the modal jazz the cool jazz style and he sort of pioneered that genre and had his own musicians come together like Cannonball Adderley, John Coltrane, Bill Evans, Jimmy Cobb I mean that's basically the musicians on Kind of Blue, as you probably know. And then he went on to do a whole other style with the Tony Williams, Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter quintet. And that was more like a free, open, modern, multiple styles changing genre, which was completely different to the cool jazz, right? We call this the second quintet. And... (laughs) it goes even deeper, right? It goes even further beyond this. Like if Miles Davis had have stopped there, he would have already changed the face of music four or five times, but he actually kept going and he had an album in an, an era, which is really nicely captured in the album, Bitches Brew. And that's much more textural. That's much more funk. That's much more spatial. That's less tonal and theoretical and even structural, and much more ambience-driven. 
And this sort of shifting of entire genres of music, this kind of pioneering entire movements within the music world multiple times is quite hard to fathom. It's quite hard to appreciate just how genius that is. Most musicians have their style. They have their genre. And within that, there are multiple forms to it. But to actually be so inventive that you can reinvent your your your, your entire approach, that really is something else. So... Miles J- Miles Davis was a genius and that that's important to understand for this point that I want to make with Miles Davis learning to box because with the genius with the celebrity with the person who everywhere they go they're going to get their ass kissed every person they encounter is going to have heard of them and to know that they are a big shot, right? This is the genius of Miles Davis. This is his situation. For you to meet Miles Davis was an event. It was the event of your week. It was the event of your month. And that difference actually is what I'm trying to say, a disadvantage. Miles Davis missed out on something. Miles Davis had walls which could not be penetrated. He had defenses that could not be got through. And this story of Miles Davis going to learn to box is is really an example of how obvious that is and how much it's important for celebrities to realize this. So here's how the story goes. Miles Davis takes a liking to boxing and he watches it and he thinks, oh, I could go and do that. So he turns up at his local boxing arena And he goes to sort of one of the teachers or whoever it is. And he approaches him and he says, I want to learn. I want to learn to box. You know, what are the first steps? So he's humbled himself. He's taken it upon himself to actually say, I need to learn something. There's something that I don't know. And the response of the boxing master is just to basically slap Miles Davis in the face. He basically says to him, I am not going to teach you. I'm not going to teach you at all. Now that, that is a very hard hit. To tell someone, you're so bad that you can't even learn. That is to really instill no hope. If you've ever heard that from someone, it's it's really hurtful. You're you're so bad, I can't even teach you. I can't teach you. And this boxing teacher took one look at Miles Davis and said, "No, I'm not going to teach you. 
I can't teach you. Get out of here. He almost he almost picked him up and kicked him up the ass. And a big part of the reason why this boxing teacher said this to Miles Davis was not because of the way he looked at his body or anything like that or his attitude. It was because he was on drugs. The boxing teacher could see immediately you have a drug habit. And he said to him, you get out of here and you kick that habit. And maybe then we can talk. Maybe then. And Miles Davis really mentions this quite seriously in his story. He says, I've never been spoken to like that before or since. And that is a world of difference, right? From having everyone kiss your ass. From people wanting to have you on their album or you you can choose to play with any musician. You can be in any recording studio. You can be on any record label. You can play at any venue, anytime you want. You can release whatever music you want, right? Full, free, artistic creativity. Miles Davis had it all. And women and friends and admirers and fans and all sorts of the rest of it. And out of all those people, every single person, there was not one that was able to come to Miles Davis and say, Look, you've really got a problem with your drug habit. You really need to sort something out with this personal issue. And it was this boxing coach that was strong enough, powerful enough in his personality, in his ability to see problems that was able to actually tell Miles Davis what he needed to hear. And of course, Davis did know, right? He did know that his habit was a bad thing. There's many times when he says life was actually going pretty good if only he could kick this habit. Because when you've got record deals and you've got gigs, you've got a band... That's a very positive thing. A working band is a very positive thing. An actual income from music is a very positive thing. And yet he had, as they call it, the monkey on the back. This terrible addiction. Now, there is other sides to the story, right? Miles Davis had a very colourful life. Another side of it was, well, his treatment of women. You can say, yes, he was a genius musician, but he was abusive to his women. He was hurtful. He was manipulative. He was just downright abusive. Financially, sexually, emotionally, verbally. And even physically. 
And this is something that sort of goes along with the wall of someone not being able to tell him that he's got a drug habit, right? Because no one could really tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, this thing that you're doing with these women in your life, well, that's really not a good thing. Now, you could also say, well, that was the culture of the time. Things like that sort of did slide because of a broader epistemic issue of those days. And that's that's an interesting point to make. That is something to consider. And then also there is the story where Miles Davis is turning up with the former lover of his who he'd had a rather significant relationship with. And he was immediately cold and hurtful and abusive to her. And I think the story goes something like he, he walks in and, and the first thing he says to her is, give me some money. And she's like, oh, okay, you, you want some money? No problem, I'll go and give you some money. Here's some money. And he, he sort of snatches it and sort of starts counting it in front of her and sort of ignoring her like this, right? But the side of the story that he's telling is that the reason he's doing that is because this this woman was the love of his life. This woman was the one for him. She was his soulmate. The most significant woman that he'd ever been in a relationship with. And of course, for whatever reasons, <laughs> of course there are many, that relationship had ended and he had felt hurt. So this kind of abuse, this kind of really just snatching the money off this woman was really from a place of hurt. It was really from a place of, well, he didn't receive the love that he needed. He wasn't able to continue the positive relationship in his life for as long as he, on some level, thought he should have been able to. Now, you can say, well, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? He should have known better. He should have confronted his issues. He should have learnt. And there really is no one who could have had that conversation with him. Right? Like the boxing master had said, you need to kick your drug habit. Otherwise, you're just going to be unhealthy and never able to do this sport. There should have been an equivalent who said, you need to stop this abuse to women. Otherwise, you're going to be alone, miserable and heartbroken. And for someone like Miles Davis, who is this icon, right? It's, it's so hard to appreciate because when, I mean, you, I mean, we can sort of sit back and talk about it from a distance, right? We're so far removed from this. But when you really get close to a celebrity, I don't know if you've ever met a celebrity, maybe think about it. It's like, oh, wow, wow, you know, it's sort of uncontrollable how you get sucked into the mania or the sort of excitement. Wow. I had this dream the other day that I met Bill Burr and <laughs> in my dream, I was like, man, your comedy is amazing. 
your speaking is a is amazing. Like really, really, it's amazing. Really, man, you are amazing. I was like this in the dream, and yet now when I think about it, I actually really don't like Bill Burr. <laughs> it's actually that. Uh, there's a lot wrong with you. <laughs> there's a lot wrong with your ideas. There's a lot wrong with your advice. Now, for the sake of comedy and entertainment, well, I can appreciate Bill Burr's comedy and entertainment. But as a person, as a as a voice in the public domain, in the limelight, in the public sphere, uh, you know, I'm I'm very much disgusted by it. In so many ways, I'm very much like, ah, oh, like, I just want to say, shut up. But if I was to, <laughs> you know, if I was to actually meet Bill, Bill Burr, of course, of course you wouldn't be like that. Ask for an autograph and say, hey, great job on, on that special you did or great job on that movie you did. Right? You don't want to be like that. And you just have to hope, well, that there is someone, that there is someone who can get through to him. Whether it's Bill Burr or Miles Davis or any other celebrity or person. And that's really where we find the take-home message. That's really where we get to the point of this whole story. Who is it that can really get through to you in your life? Who is it that can tell you about your bad habits and for you to listen and to realize you really do need to do something about that? Now, in some ways... It's easier for us because we don't have the the massive iconic fame and money and ad, admiration of fans to inflate our egos. Right? There's no way that I can say, "Oh, well, you know, but what do you know what you're talking about? I mean, just look at what my ideas have done." It's just like, "Come on. <laughs> That's not going to fly at all." And of course, this conversation doesn't always go in the way that it did for Miles Davis with the boxing master. The boxing master was sort of this hard-hitting, strong sort of kind of macho, masculine personality. Sometimes a truth can arrive on you as something gentle and yet so heavy. So powerful. And someone like Bill Burr, well, he is very much a strong personality. He is very much closed. He's got a very solidified wall between him and the world and the people in his life. Miles Davis wasn't alone in his sort of 
culture or his sort of time and place, right? And in some ways, he couldn't really be changed. In some ways, you wouldn't you wouldn't really even want to change him, right? Miles Davis is he's more like a work he's he's more like a a living work of art, or he's more like a poem than a person. And I guess now, well, he's he's passed away, so he is a cultural icon. He is this sort of work of art, quite literally. Right? You wouldn't want to come along and say, now, now clean yourself up, Miles Davis, you know, quit smoking and we'll we'll make you a vegetarian and you'll learn to meditate and we'll dress you in some nicer clothes and you know, you can start speaking nicely. You know, at a at a certain point you go, you know, that nah, that's not Miles Davis. <laughs> That's not him. But the issue, of course, is that these icons are held up as something to be, something to aspire to, something to really actually emulate in so many ways. And you could say, well, a lot of these bad things that Miles Davis did he was emulating from someone else, right? He had his drug habit because he was introduced to drugs by someone else. He was abusive to women because of the people that he was influenced by and mentored by, right? There's the story of Miles Davis being in the car with Charlie Parker and Charlie Parker has this girl doing something to his machinery. And at the same time, Charlie Parker is like rubbing chicken on his body and eating it and rubbing it all over her, right? This is in the car while Miles Davis is is sit, sat right across from him. And Charlie Parker turns to him and says, have you got a problem at all? And Miles Davis is like, oh, no, not really. And Parker says, well, if you've got a problem, you just look out that window and shut your mouth. And really, (laughs) the number of stories like that around Charlie Parker are just numerous, right? There's dozens of stories like that about Charlie Parker, which Miles Davis shares. And just that he's talking about him so much in his time shows how much of an influence Charlie Parker's life had on Miles Davis. And maybe we need to say, okay, well, there's there's emulating a musician for their music and there's emulating a person for their life. And we need to separate the two. So if we're learning music, we listen to Charlie Parker's music and Miles Davis music and if we're trying to learn to live then we listen to other people and I think that would be a good start I think that would be a good thing to understand and if you're someone that earns big money if you're someone that has any sort of following across any sort of platform if you're someone who has any sort of success, any sort of skill, any sort of recognition for what you've done, any of this, 
then I would wager to you that you actually need to listen. You actually need to humble yourself. You actually need to think about all of the things that no one is ever going to confront you with. Miles Davis lived and died without someone confronting him about his health problems. Towards the end of his life, there was a time when he was just in an apartment doing drugs and meeting with hookers. He did that for a number of years. And it became quite a seedy apartment, right? (laughs) It was full of trash and he had junk and mess all over it. And he hired a cleaner for some time, but then the cleaner stopped coming because it was too much. And he didn't speak to anyone. And I guess maybe part of that is, well, he had the resources. He had that much money. Maybe that's another thing that we can illustrate or sort of expand upon. When you have that much resource, when you have that much security in your finances, well, that opens up a whole lot of different problems. If you don't have your impulse and your health sorted by that, well, you can run into very dark chapters of life. So those are a few stories to do with Miles Davis. Really, there's a lot to there's a lot to say about Miles Davis. He has so much. I mean, he's contributed so much to the world of music. He's worth knowing about. But he's by no means someone to uphold as a model person by any stretch in so many ways. And maybe we'll do an, a Miles Davis appreciation <laughs> episode on another day. But at least that's something to understand which is that Miles Davis went to learn boxing and he did, to his credit, he actually did kick his habit and he did go and he did learn to box briefly. But that helps to illustrate this point, which is how does someone get to you? What's it going to take for you to listen So thanks very much for tuning in, and that's all I have to say for now.